Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the time a WWE pay-per-view went head-to-head with a presidential debate. It's No Mercy 2016. Kyush, should WWE have tried to get some Barbenheimer-style publicity out of this? You know, there's going to be No Mercy on the debate stage on Sunday and No Mercy in the ring, maybe that kind of thing. That would have been a pretty good idea. Um, Alternatively, they could have just not run on the day of probably the biggest presidential debate that will ever exist ever in the history of presidential debates. It's a good question. I can't remember exactly when they announced these debates. Like, for example, I don't think they've announced um, the debates for, you know, it's 20 right now we're recording this. It's October of 2023, the presidential election is a year away. A year from probably today, there will be one of these debates. They haven't announced them because actually the campaigns have to. There's a commission on presidential debates, but the campaigns are involved in the negotiations. So they can't really do the negotiations until they have, you know, candidates. And right. we don't have those quite yet. Um, so I don't know. WWE may have like booked this date, but they probably could have changed it if they wanted to. It just seemed wild to me that, like, we – they probably had to have known exactly at the time when it was announced, like, oh, shit. Because we knew months out, like, oh, God, this is going to be, Trump. like – It's going to be wild. It's yeah. Trump versus the potential first woman president ever. Like, there's never going to be more publicity than this one. And that did bear itself out, though not in a way that I think any of us expected. Yeah, the first debate was on a Monday night, hilariously was on a Monday night, drew 80 million viewers, and Raw's rating got absolutely destroyed as a result. It's one of, like, the most viewed non-Super Bowls in American yeah. television history. Most watched debate ever. It edged out the um, the one Carter-Reagan debate from 1980, which is pretty damn impressive, even though it's a bigger country when you consider that 1980 – there was really only three TV channels and they all would have been showing the debate. So even decades later with a million other things you could potentially watch, all the channels, all the streaming services, more people watched the first Clinton-Trump debate than any other debate in history. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's it's a moment in history that I think there's not going to be anybody listening to this podcast who wasn't around when that happened. I don't think, I don't think we have like a lot of seven year olds listening right now. I, God, I would hope not. However, where, like where are their parents? It seems like 500 years ago though, doesn't it? It's an entirely different world. Um, and we'll get into all that, but first we've got three current wrestling stories to talk about. Now, This may have been the slowest news week we've had since we started doing this, I feel like. But we still came up with, I think, three pretty interesting topics. First, a genuinely big story. Uh, Last Wednesday on Dynamite, Sting announced that he plans to retire from pro wrestling next year. And his final match will be at Revolution 2024. In um, they haven't announced the date, but it's usually the end of February or the beginning of March. We'll get a bit of a farewell tour from the Stinger, a few final matches. Um, yeah, I'm excited that we're going to get to say goodbye to Sting properly. I think part, a big part of the reason he came back to AEW was he didn't feel like he got closure from his WWE retirement, which. We covered a few weeks ago with that Night of Champions 2015 episode. So happy for the Stinger that he's going to get a proper farewell here. It's 
incredible when you think about just like from the moment that he left WCW, what a like a twisted, shitty path his career took. Really, since Starcade '97, yep. what a twisted, shitty path his career took. WCW went out of business. He went to TNA. It was always a shithole. He goes to WWE. It's briefly pretty cool, and then he immediately almost gets like paralyzed in it. He must have like been sitting at home for so long, thinking like, man, my legacy is trash. It's there's no way to leave on my terms. And then AEW comes yeah. along and he gets this run that has just been just blessed by the gods since it very first started. Not one bad moment, not one time that he looked out of his depth or too old or like he shouldn't have been there. Just constantly the most over person on any show he was on. It's beautiful. Like this is how you save a legend. It's been magic. But it hasn't happened by accident. It's a combination of Sting being in great shape and really motivated and AEW presenting him in, presenting him as the ultimate legend and really protecting him, both in terms of their booking and kind of physically. You know, it occurs to me, I don't think he's wrestled, a, unless I'm forgetting something, I don't think he's had a single singles match. He's only worked tag matches, which is smart. And they've really kind of kept him to quick bursts of stuff but also he's done all these crazy stunts that you never would have expected from a guy in his 60s yeah that's one probably the wildest part of this entire run is just when you really think about the fact that like he is able to have like nine months off in between his matches so like he can do whatever the fuck he wants and then like heal up he's got like the shane mcmahon schedule and so in doing that, he's finally doing the kind of matches that he's always wanted to do. And that turns out to have been, much to our delight, New Jack matches. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy who, to my knowledge, I don't ever remember him jumping off a ladder. No. <laughs> like, maybe he was, maybe he got pushed off a ladder in a King of the Mountain match. But now, yeah, he's jumping off balconies. He's jumping through tables. It's been wild and awesome. Yeah been unbelievably cool he seems to be having a great time certainly we've had a great time watching him like i'll always remember like the match that he and darby had with the bucks where they like hit him with the double super kicks and he just kind of sways back briefly and then he comes back bangs his chest and then beats the fucking shit out of the bucks like they've treated him like literally more powerful than any other force in the company that's just incredible to me and you know it's because tony khan is a little stinger at heart But that's okay. If anything, the one thing that you should be able to be a mark for and, like, should be able to, like, as the booker, be like, oh, man, I'm going to actually, like, go with my friend or who I love should be these legends who we revere, too. Like, we feel about Sting the same way Tony feels about Sting. Yeah. A story I'd never heard before, but it makes a ton of sense. I knew Sting's son was a football player. I didn't know he had a tryout with the Jaguars, and that's how he met Tony Khan. No shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Tony Khan was marking the fuck out. Trying to be cool about it, but Tony Khan cannot be cool. That's just not part of his personality. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right, so the big question. Who do you think his final match should be against? Oh, boy. Um, well, he has no peers left, right? Like, yeah, there's he's not lit- going to wrestle Ric Flair. Although I thought he should have been in Ric Flair's last match. Absolutely. I'm going to be totally honest with you, and I know how people are going to feel about this, and I'm so sorry, but like, I think that he should wrestle MJF, and mm-hmm. I think that that yeah. would be a really cool moment, and I would 
be over the fucking moon if like Jeff Jarrett ruined that and then it's Sting versus Jeff Jarrett to end the career. <laughs> Just like uh, Jarrett was gonna end Sting's crew back at Bound for Glorio Six. There you go, baby. Like. But that's because I love TNA so much, and I just I, – I think – Jeff Jarrett is literally his last peer left in the business. Yes. So, like, that would be kind of interesting for me. He could literally be the last outlaw then. It feels like he's got to wrestle Chris Jericho one-on-one at some point here. Seems weird that he hasn't. They've only yeah. even had the one tag match, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's just it's a match that's never happened. And they're two guys who, yeah, could have faced off on a ran, random episode of Thunder in 1998. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, my thought, either it's putting over either it's a si- singles match with Darby, which would make sense in a lot of ways, or it's a title shot against MJF are kind of the two things that jump out at me. Yeah, I would love the singles match with Darby just to put over Darby. That would be great. Um, it would be very emotional. We'd all love to see it. Um, but honestly, he's put over Darby enough just with his presence yeah. this whole time. It's not necessary for him to get the the win. You know what I mean? Um, you could do some kind of big tag match, but honestly, it feels like we should get at least one match where it's just him and the focus is just on him, right? That I, the idea of doing like the the title match where he's got to like get in there one more time and fucking rocky it up and see if he's still got what it takes. And then he gets beaten, but that's a weird fit for babyface MJF. Yeah. So maybe it's, maybe Jay White takes the title off MJF. And oh it's my God. Jay White. I hope he does. I'm, that would be so yeah. exciting. Or MJF because he's a piece of shit turns back heel. Well, that's the thing too. Like I, I would be very surprised if they don't want him to go back heel at some point. Like especially he's, now that Adam, now that Adam Cole is out for a while, like whatever you had planned for that, you're going to have to reshuffle anyway. And you can always go back to it later because the yeah. second Cole comes out, MJF's just going to be a baby face again. But in the meantime, like just, yeah, there's no better way to turn somebody a scumbag than to have them like fucking viciously destroy Sting and retire him. Yeah. So I think, that, yeah, they could just have it have it turn out. MJF is, in fact, the one under the devil mask who attacked Jay White and turn him back into a heel. There we go. Easy peasy. All right. Story two. Will Ospreay coming to America. I got to tell you, like, this is a blow for New Japan, though yeah. this generally happens with everybody who gets super over in the States. Like, New Japan does their contracts pretty much year to year, so it's not difficult for people to get out of them and come here. And Will Ospreay has basically stated his intention to come to the United States. Do you have any idea how the pay for a top guy like Osprey in Japan compares to... The pay for I, whatever he's going to fetch in the United States. I assume he's going to be getting a multi-million dollar contract. Yeah, it's never been clear. I don't think anybody other than Okada is making like more than a million base pay. But like, <laughs> Also, you have to do the exchange rate. They also sell a shitload of merchandise in New oh, Japan. Like, it's basically just like a, like a team beat thing where like everybody's making extra money on the side. So no, it's not really super clear, but it's obvious that the money is in the United States, especially right now during a boom period. And therein lies the question, will Osprey is the first man to truly be a free agent while wrestling is in an unbelievable boom period. Yeah. Yeah, he is, isn't he? And he's not right now a part of either company. So yeah, like, in terms of like a guy who, you know, 
Edge, Edge, and Edge did get a really big money deal from WWE the last time his contract expired. Right, uh, and like, like somebody White, coming in like, from outside. And Jay yeah, White Jay floated White. with both, but like this is a case where like both companies are 100% on top of their game, and Will Ospreay is coming from completely outside of both, and he is probably I don't know the best talent to come available since Nakamura. Uh, like we're, we're in like. I don't even know what to compare him to. Like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, where's it go? WWE, AEW, or the Dark Horse, the soon-to-be-rebranded Total Nonstop Action Wrestling? That's the fascinating question. Personally, like, I think that he's probably going to WWE, if I'm being totally honest, just because he's not even giving them a time of day, and that's what I would do if I was going to WWE. Um, the idea that he put out a tweet that said like, oh, uh, TNA's in the lead to sign me right now is such a, well, that's, hey, I'll give you this TNA just to make you a little bit relevant yeah. and to drive up the prices for me, but that's not happening. <laughs> it does seem like he really enjoyed working TNA this past weekend. If they had a decent TV deal and offered him $5 million, I bet you we would go to TNA, but I don't really see that happening. <laughs> yeah. And that leads us nicely into story number three. Impact Wrestling announces it's going to return to the TNA brand in 2024. Um, they announced this at the end of Bound for Glory um, over the weekend. I mean, I laughed at this, but the more I thought about it, I'm kind of, I, you know, I still think that's a stupid brand. I do think Impact needed to rebrand because Impact is so minor league at this point. I don't really know that there's that much nostalgia for TNA, but... I think it's smart that they're rebranding. <clears throat> TNA had a ton, a ton, a ton of embarrassing baggage with it, from the Hogan stuff to all the wrestle crap and all of that other stuff. But at least it was a brand that at some point people did like and believe in. And maybe it de definitely got drugged through the mud towards the end. But Impact Wrestling is a brand that came after everyone had already tuned out of the product. So, like, no one has ever associated that brand with really anything interesting at all. So, like... I would I would rather take TNA than something that was basically irrelevant. I know that there are Impact fans out there. They're just it's not even that fans necessarily. It's just like awareness. Like I told we were talking earlier today, and I was like, man, I don't think people even know that Will Ospreay just had a gigantic dream match with Mike with a I didn't Speedball Bailey. Yeah, you didn't, and I don't <laughs> think a lot of people would, and that's unfortunate because that well, was an. When you first said that he had a match, I was like, wait, did that match he had? I haven't watched it yet. That match he had with, uh, Say was that match with Saber and TNA? No, that was in New Japan. Yep. Nope. Uh, this is a match with Speedball Bailey. But if that match had been aired in AEW, we'd be talking about it for yeah. months. So, like, it's just irrelevance. You can't do anything about irrelevance. At least turning it back to TNA, you're going to get some, some eyeballs. And we'll see what they do with that. And... So, in addition, there's reporting that they're going to be up in their production value and running larger venues next year. Perhaps relatedly, CM Punk was backstage at Bound for Glory. Because we are seemingly contractually obligated to talk about CM Punk every week, could he be considering going to TNA where the fuck else is he going to go? See, CM Punk is in such a fascinating place right now. WWE said no. AEW was the most burnt a bridge has ever been. Yeah. 
There's he's not going to New Japan. No value in New Japan or not or Mexico. Ring of Honor's owned by Tony Khan. Yeah. Where else is there to go? If if you feel like you can't just have AEW's thing be the end of your wrestling legacy. The NWA just got a TV deal, didn't they? Steve. (laughs) (laughs) You could wrestle Tyrus, I guess. Oh my god. This is just, it's just, it feels appropriate for like the scumbag that CM Punk has become, if not always been, that like at this point when he finally wants to wrestle again, he, the only place that will take him is the biggest joke of a company that he absolutely hates and swore he would never go back to. That is the funny thing. Like, when he left TNA the first time after they treated him like dog shit, obviously those people aren't still there. It's just so funny that though that, that was the promotion. He was like, I will be dead in my fucking grave before I ever step foot back in that company. Well, your yeah. options are now limited, buddy. Yeah. It's the thought of him doing another return in front of a crowd of like, 500 people in a nightclub is really sad. Now, the the interesting part about this to me is not necessarily him going there because while that will get them more eyeballs, I don't know how much he's going to move the needle now because he's he's a little tarnished. He is. I, that doesn't it mean he doesn't would, have any drawing power. It would still be big for them because their yes. audience is so small at this point. I think he could double it. Like, honestly, at this point, they would sign anybody just to get back into the conversation again, right? This would do that. I mean, for his return, I think they could book, like, a a theater in Chicago that holds, like, 2,000 people and fill it. Right. Um, Like, he could probably get 2,000 friends of his to come. The more interesting part of it to me is that, like, the suggestion that, like, ownership might be involved. Yeah. Like, if he's going to become, like, a top star slash booker like Dusty Rhodes in an NWA in the 80s, we're creating a really interesting thing here. Because I get the sense that that's something he would like to do. Oh, I mean, that was – he practically had that deal with Collision, and he fucked that up. Yeah, so as a as a dedicated collider, would you be excited to watch TNA if it was in his vision? <sighs> Yeah, I think he could get some cool... Like, FTR might go there. Like, he might get some cool people to come with him. He's got a couple friends in the business left. Yeah, if AJ Lee came back, that'd be pretty cool. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Listen, like, I'm not... One guy he would never book is that son of a bitch Colt Cabana. Can promise you that. I guarantee you down the road they'd book that <laughs> fucking match. I guarantee that'll, that'll it. Be, that'll, be, that'll be headlining Bound for Glory in 2026. It's just funny because I believe that he's an extremely smart and talented guy. I would be extremely interested to see what he could do as like a booker or a creative force of a company. He could probably do an incredible job, actually. I would not be surprised if five years from now we're talking about like the top three companies because TNA is creatively on fire and they're like the ECW, right? And that that would be great for wrestling. Yes, it absolutely would. And I want nothing more than for that to happen. That would be fantastic. Do I think it will happen before it all burns down? Uh... No, No, I think more likely he comes back and within a few months it falls apart because he's had another backstage fight or some kind of falling out with the ownership or something because he just feels like he can't control himself anymore. Before we end this... uh... 
Obviously, I'm very excited that TNA is coming back. But Steve, a quick Stump Steve, just very quick. No! No, no, no. This isn't the Stump Steve. It's just a Stump Steve. Okay. Uh, Who's the TNA World Heavyweight Champion right now? Oh, fuck me. (laughs) PCO? Nope. EC3? Nope. Matt Cardona? Not even close. Vladimir Kozlov? It's Alex Shelley. Oh, God. (laughs) Yep, and that's where they are. If it takes CM Punk or whatever to dig themselves out of that, great. Because the second that no one in the world knows who your world champion is, your promotion ain't worth shit. Nowhere to go but up from here. This is day one of the rest of your life, TNA. All right, so now we can get in the Wayback Machine and turn back the clock to October 2016. Uh, Countdown to Armageddon as Donald Trump is going to be elected president only a few weeks after this. I We've talked about doing this show for a long time, and I got to tell you that like this was one of the ones that I was always kind of leery of doing because – this is a dark time to remember, guys. Like, this is, even if you were, like, a Republican at the time or someone in the middle who, like, voted for Trump just to see everything get mixed up or whatever, you've got to look back at this time and, like, what a chaotic nuclear bomb of a year this was for the world. Yeah. Can't wait till we revisit this a year from now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so where are we? WWE brought the roster split back in the summer of 2016. That happened because uh, they signed a deal to move SmackDown to USA and have it go live on Tuesday nights. So they wanted to make SmackDown a bigger deal than it had been for the last few years. So split up the rosters. SmackDown gets a really intriguing roster in the draft. They get... The WWE champion Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, John Cena, Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt, The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, and Becky Lynch. They get um, Shane McMahon as the commissioner and Daniel Bryan as the general manager. Pretty exciting roster. I mean, to have John Cena and Randy Orton on SmackDown was a big thing. Not only to have them, but to have a very definitive choice be made that they're not going to be the top guys. They're going to be on this show, but we're building it around Dean Ambrose, which ultimately doesn't last long. It doesn't really work out, but mostly because another star comes and supplants him, which nobody expected. Yeah, this is really the story of the meteoric rise of AJ Styles, who debuted at the company at the Royal Rumble in January and at SummerSlam beat John Cena for the second time in a row. He had already beaten him at some pay-per-view earlier in the summer. I don't remember what it was, but for AJ to beat Cena twice in a row separated him from all the other guys. Felt like a million guys had beaten John Cena one time and then proceeded to lose the series to him. You know, Kevin Owens, Rusev, a bunch of other guys had done that. Bray Wyatt. There was also something different about AJ in comparison to those guys. And maybe it was just like the unbelievable confidence he seemed to have in himself at this point that maybe the others didn't have. But like, you can tell that Vince bought into AJ in a way none of us really expected that he would. Um, Because he goes from... He is treated like a tippy-top main eventer basically from this point until today. Like, it never stopped after that. Vince is like, 
oh, this guy's a top star. We're going to treat feel, him like that. We've said it before, but it feels like Vince must have felt like I found my new Shawn Michaels. It's just so funny because, like, a lot of people around this time were like, why didn't they sign him sooner? This is so dumb. Like, they wasted his whole career. This <sighs> AJ Styles, like this before. he did not exist before yeah. this exact year. Even New Japan, Bullet Club AJ Styles was not this man. He does not find whatever this is, the ability to cut these awesome cocky dickhead promos about the face that runs the place and all that stuff. He just summons that here. It never existed before. I don't know where it came from. So also at SummerSlam, Ambrose beat Ziggler to retain the WWE Championship and Randy Orton got his face smashed in by Brock Lesnar in the main event. Hey, everybody, remember that when he got <laughs> fucked, fucking elbowed into paste on live pay-per-view? Yeah, believe it or not, he got a concussion from that. No, no blade jobs allowed. We're just going to turn Randy Orton into goo. Uh, this was at this point when they did the split, they decided they should do two pay-per-views oh. in the months that didn't have, you know, one of the big four shows. So... SmackDown and Raw got separate pay-per-views in September and October. SmackDown's pay-per-view in September was Backlash. In the main event, AJ beat Ambrose to win the WWE Championship. Winning the title only eight months after his debut was pretty close to a record, I would have to imagine. I pause to see if that triggered stump Steve. It does not. Let me tell you, this this show was maybe the richest source of stump Steve potential questions of any show we've ever done. I had like 14 different ones, and I only went with the one that I went to because I really wanted to bury somebody. We'll get to that when we get there. (laughs) So many random assholes on this show. Yes, there are. Uh, Also that night, Becky Lynch won a six-pack challenge to become the first-ever SmackDown Women's Champion, and Heath Slater and Rhino beat the Usos to become the first SmackDown Tag Team Champions. This is also a really weird time. The Usos have become the beginnings of Bloodline Usos that we know today. They've ditched, like... The, like the super tribal stuff and they're just themselves now and it begins to get so electrically yeah. over yeah that's the thing is like how how much this freshened them up when they switch from you know the face point paint and the colorful colorful shorts and the haka entrance to like street thugs just coming out in like tennis shoes and shorts or baggy pants and they get the lockdown entrance and they, they genuinely feel like the only people on the whole roster who feel like of this real era yeah. that exists outside of WWE. Yeah, people with actual charisma. Yeah. On the September 13th SmackDown, the new champion, AJ Styles, opened the show. He was interrupted by the returning John Cena. And then they were both interrupted by Dean Ambrose. Uh, Cena and Ambrose got into it. Cena told Ambrose he had no balls and he deserved to get buried by Steve Austin on his podcast. Okay, so this is post (laughs) that thing that happened where Dean Ambrose gives the shittiest interview in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, that was really bad. And it did. I think it did cut his title run short. But also his title run wasn't good. Like we have to talk about this. So like he has the title defense against Dolph Ziggler, which is a miserable disaster. And then like it and was he a drops good... the title. 
Yeah, then he drops the title. Then they're going to do the James Ellsworth thing. Is that later in this year? Yeah, that, that starts like right around this time, but it really gets going after this pay-per-view. We're actually the feud is between Ellsworth and AJ because they're yeah. both way more over than Ambrose is. This is Ambrose's chance to like own a brand, and he bombs it. Like It does not succeed whatsoever. Like, just to be honest about something, Dean Ambrose sucked. John Dean Moxley Am- didn't suck. John Moxley doesn't suck, but Dean Ambrose did. Dean Ambrose and John Moxley wouldn't even hang out together. No. Like, there's not, they have nothing in common. <laughs> no, just everything about Ambrose. Like back then, he's a skinny dude with a terrible haircut. He wore stupid gear. His promos were awful. His character was annoying. It he's was bad. Literally- he didn't he's- deserve to be WWE champion. He didn't no, he's- deserve to work with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. He's only in the spot because he was part of the Shield and everybody knows it. Like, literally, he's in this match with AJ and Cena, and they feel like fucking Hogan and Andre, and he's Brutus Beefcake. He does not belong. Uh, Ambrose responded by calling Cena a lazy part-timer and a corporate puppet. Shane McMahon then announced a triple threat match between these three guys for no mercy. They start doing this thing with Cena where it's just like, my biggest goal in life is to get become 16-time world champion just like Ric Flair. Even though behind the scenes, he's like, I will never do that. Please, God, be- don't make me do that. I, I will not have that heat on my name. No way. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, he does eventually do it, but then they retroactively started calling Flair a 17-time champion to give him and- the record back. I would not be surprised at all if he was just like, all right, I'll win the belt again, but you motherfuckers better listen up. You are changing that. Just say one of his Puerto Rico things was real. Whatever. No one cares. So that's our quote unquote main event. But for reasons we'll get to, it's going to open the show. Um, The other big match is we're going to have the Miz against Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental title. Um, Ziggler... Lost to Miz at Backlash. He lost to Miz on the September 20th episode of SmackDown. At this point, he had lost his WWE Championship shot at SummerSlam. At this point, Gene Okerlund should have appeared and called him a bona fide loser for all the losses he had taken. Yep. I mean, I think a lot of us just kind of thought like, all right, they they don't really have a lot of like top guys for the brand split. So they're just kind of using him in this spot and then they'll find somebody new and like job him out. Then it turns out that it's actually a story that they're telling, which genuinely is pretty good. Like this is a well-told story about a man who's on the brink of irrelevance and like knows it and is willing to do anything to stop it. So the next week, SmackDown was at where? The Gundarina in Cleveland, Ohio. As they always are. <laughs> Miz's hometown. This is where we met the Miz's dad, George Mizanin. He shouted him out in the front row. It's also sort of, it's not really Ziggler's hometown, but they're never going to Kent. So it's basically yeah. his hometown. <laughs> Close enough. Miz pointed out Ziggler's parents in the front row and then buried Ziggler for being a loser. Ziggler came out and proceeded to do a pretty fantastic promo, admitting his career hadn't gone the way he hoped it would. He thought he would be a bigger star, but this was all he wanted to do with his life. And he asked The Miz to put the title up 
one more time. And if Ziggler would do that, he would put his career on the line in the match. It's just funny because there are so few people in wrestling history who could do a storyline like this. Because it has to be somebody who we have loved for years, who we wanted to get there, and then they just kind of never did. So, like, But we don't blame them. It wasn't his fault that he didn't get there necessarily. It was just circumstances. So like, there's so few times in history that you could run this angle. But Ziggler's perfect. We all kind of thought that he was going to be a bigger star than he became. And it does feel like he's at the end of something. So like, it makes you really want to cheer him just one last time. Because even you feel like watching at home, this is probably the end for him. (laughs) I was thinking his con I was thinking his contract was expiring and he was actually gonna lose here. I think a lot of people thought that. I think he was even like suggesting it himself, like I gotta start looking for a new place to wrestle after this. Yeah. And I think it would have been better for him if he had left, but you know, that's the road not taken. Where better where other than Cleveland would such a lovable loser be from? Although we should point out This is the year the Cleveland Cavaliers won Cleveland's first championship in decades. This is literally the best year for Cleveland that has happened in my lifetime. Between The Miz and LeBron James, this is the year for Cleveland. Um, This came a few weeks after The Miz did that incredible promo on Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack. Yeah, The Miz is just on fire at this point. The Miz is like accidentally cutting better promos than anyone in this company has cut in years. Um, He's still like needling Brian about it too, which is so funny because they don't intend to do anything, but that promo was so good. They just keep coming back to it. I know that's the thing for, I don't know, two years after this, the Miz continues to do the yes kicks and the Daniel Bryan spots until, until it turns out Brian is actually going to be allowed to wrestle again. And and then they actually can finally have their feud. But that's the funniest thing too, is that literally like he keeps doing all this stuff just for heat, but we're talking about a segment of a show that does nobody fucking watch talking smack. Literally nobody watched it. Only the sick perverts out there. And yet it has become literally like a a pivotal part of wrestling history. This one promo that somebody cut on the after show of a random SmackDown. I love to talk in Smack so much. I, on some level, I feel like this is what a wrestling show should be. Like, it feels like those studio shows that like, except in a way... It feels like the old WCW Saturday night where they'd be at the studio and the promos would be, the difference is those promos were actually in front of the studio audience. And that would have made talking smack even better if this had actually been in front of a crowd that could have responded to the stuff. And much like WCW Saturday night, what part of what makes it special is the full knowledge that the owner does not know or give a (laughs) shit about anything said on this program. Vince never Vince didn't even know what Talking Smack was. Vince it may as well have been bite this. Vince wasn't watching Talking Smack. He was already back headed back to the hotel when that shit was going on. Do you remember when Daniel Bryan buried AJ Styles for being a flat earther on Talking Smack? He sure did. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that would happen. Like Daniel Bryan would just say the wildest stuff. I'm saying he might as well have had a rec- his sign off might as well be 144 days until my WWE contract expires. We'll see you next week. It's just so it's so funny too that like Ziggler and Bryan, who both seem extremely on the way out, nope, they stay for many more years. Many many more years. 
All right, so let's talk about the other thing. Looming over this show is the second presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, which will take place this Sunday, head-to-head with the pay-per-view. Pay-per-view starts at 8, debate starts at 9. Now, two days before this, Friday, October the 7th, I want you to just picture me sitting in my office, eating my lunch, idly scrolling Twitter, and coming across a tweet from NBC News about the fact that they'd uncovered a tape from an Access Hollywood story where Donald Trump was talking to Billy Bush, George W. Bush's idiot cousin, and Trump says on the tape that he grabs women by the pussy and he doesn't ask first. Oh boy, shit really hit the fan here in a way I've never seen before. And it it hit the fan to such an extent that it seemed literally impossible that he could even continue his candidacy. Like this is the biggest scandal that's hit anybody since Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Like it's on that level. Yeah, it was like there was legit literally questions. Is he going to show up to the debate? Like, is it just going to be Hillary doing a town hall without him there? Is he going to show up and announce he's dropping out and Mike Pence is going to replace him in the debate? Like nobody knew what to expect here. Anything seemed possible. Where in the timeline is the whole story about him potentially peeing on Russian prostitutes? Was that during, <laughs> that comes that, like, that doesn't come out until after the election. Okay, okay, that's right. Okay, I yeah, got you. That was a wild man. That was a wild night too. But again, these are things that like absolutely took up the entire nation's thought. And now, years later, when was the last time you heard anyone talk about this? Like, is this as if it never happened? Yeah, of course, Trump did show up for the debate. 66 million people watched the debate on TV, which was down quite a bit from the first debate, but way more than usually watch a second debate. A good chunk of people watch the first debate, and that's it. They've seen enough. They don't need to see any more. Really, once we get to the second and especially the third debates, it's just the sickos who are watching. And to be clear, and this is no different, I'm fairly certain that everyone made up their mind either before the first debate or at the first debate and kept that. It just became such a sideshow circus event that you had to watch to see what was going to happen. Because Trump might say literally fucking anything and Hillary might say anything in response to him. And as it turned out, it was a pretty normal debate, which was probably the best thing that could have happened for Trump. It was like he just managed to reset things and become a normal presidential candidate again, which is part of how he won was that in the end, he wore everybody down with stamina and madness. Yep. Respectability politics made people uncomfortable bringing up these things to him. And he just took advantage of that. And that's how it works. Yeah. I don't know what the right strategy would have been. Maybe the moderator should have exclusively asked questions about this. Maybe Clinton should have tried to turn every single answer back to the tape. But I don't know. That might have made her look. I don't want. I don't know. Use whatever gendered word you want for how that would have made how people would have perceived that. I believe shrewish is the one they were using on her that night. It's a good one. Nasty woman. I think yeah. this was the I can't remember if this was the nasty woman debate or if that was the third one. Yeah, I can't remember either. Somehow, Hillary Clinton, by the way, not the best person in the whole world. We don't need to get into that. 
uh, doesn't come out comes out of these debates looking demonstrably like worse than she did with going into him because she didn't attack him. But she you can't win. There's no winning against somebody willing to go like this. So yeah, keep that in mind. This it clearly affected the booking of this show. Yes. Because they opened the show with the main event. The triple threat match goes on first, and they promoted that in advance. And that's clearly because they recognize that a chunk of their audience, including myself, are going to start out watching the pay-per-view at eight. And then once we hit nine, all times Eastern, of course, because that's the time zone I live in. Um, once we hit 9 p.m., some people are going to flip over to the debate. I did that. My curiosity, what did you do? I was just watching the pay-per-view. I uh, watched the debate afterwards because mostly I was just following the debate on Twitter. Though what I can mostly tell you is that like I was watching, I had the pay-per-view on, but mostly I was just fixated to my Twitter feed to see what exactly was going on. So I may as well have just been watching it. Yeah. Also, so like WWE has very rarely ever had to counter program this way up against anything. Um, they've often like, well, we're, there's a big Monday Night Football game. Maybe we won't put some, something on too big because they're probably not going to watch it. But they very rarely had to juggle in this way. And I don't know what exactly like moment to moment is the segment that goes up against the debate really I have, beginning. I have a note on it. It's the tag match. Okay, I was about to say because like which is about as big a surrender as I've ever seen. They put on two matches on this show that are back to back. They may as well be like nobody's watching this shit. Who cares? Just go out there and do some shit. The debate ran about 90 minutes. It was from like 9 p.m. to 10.30. So my memory is I flipped back to the pay-per-view at 10.30 and had unfortunately missed the Miz. I was like, oh, so they're going to put Miz Ziggler on last, right? They should have. Right? Nope, they put it in the dead zone. Yeah, they literally put it up against. I mean, the, the the most watched part of any debate is about the first 10 or 15 minutes. But especially for this one, I think a ton of people probably tuned in for about the first 15 or 20 minutes to see what would happen. And then got bored once it just became a normal debate. And they were talking about, like, gun control and Supreme Court justices and whatever. So just remember as we go through this show that, like, the majority of people who watch this show watch the first two matches and then the main event and nothing else. And maybe they watch the other stuff later. They probably did. But, like, when they tuned back over from the debate, what they were treated to is the main event we're going to talk about. All right. In the shadow of the Access Hollywood tape in the presidential election, are you ready to talk about what else was going on in pro wrestling? Are you ready for the lightning round? I am unbelievably thrilled because I couldn't name anything that happened the same month as that the presidential debates if you, like, staked my life on it. I am very excited about this. CM Punk faced Mickey Gall in his debut UFC fight. He lasted barely two minutes before being defeated in humiliating fashion. How would history be different if he had at least been competitive in this fight? I feel like somehow I just feel like he wouldn't feel the need to punch everyone backstage if he had done well in his real fights. I think he's insecure about it. If he had just had one reasonably competitive fight, I honestly think he'd just be a commentator for UFC and be happy about it right now. But, like, I think UFC had, like, big plans to make him part of their stuff in the future, but they couldn't because he was such a laughing stuff. Gall subsequently challenged another MMA fighter to a hair versus hair match. Of course. And I believe he got viciously dominated. (laughs) 
because he's not good. He's just an actual fighter, not CM Punk. Randy Orton missed several weeks with a concussion after being pummeled by Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. And when he woke up from his concussion, Vince was there and like, hey, buddy, you want to feud with Bray Wyatt? No one's ever wanted that. No one. Oh, God, we're going to get to that. Honky Tonk Man made a cameo on Lucha Underground as a, <laughs> prison, gu- as a prison guard who returned Dario Cueto's belongings. Are you serious? Somehow this isn't the hammer. Guys, it is unbelievable <laughs> that we've never really covered Lucha Underground as literally Steve and Tony Khan are the only two people in the world, and apparently John Moxley, who truly deeply loved this product. We got to find a way to talk about it someday. And somehow this was the future of pro wrestling. Yes. Oh, man. that's When we do the Lucha Underground season, it's going to be big business. Vince McMahon tore his quad working out. Man. Man sure seems to tear his quad a lot. Yeah. Just wonder, uh, there's certain things you can do to your body chemically in order to make the muscles more likely to tear. I wouldn't know about that. Miz played a video of the lowlights of Ziggler's career, including being in the Spirit Squad, being Kerwin White's caddy, being knocked out by Hugh Jackman, and being made to kiss Sheamus's ass. And then he brought out the Spirit Squad. This doesn't even include the time that he went around for four months shaking hands with people. Like they did, they did have a bunch of him introducing himself. Okay. To in there, yeah. Like. Ziggler might be the person who overcame the most shit in order to become world champion ever. Unless it's Cody. Like, they're hand in hand. The Washington Post wrote a story about the Trump Foundation that noted that Vince and Linda McMahon were the largest donors. Their donations coincided with Trump's appearances in WWE. I have for many years contended that he was laundering his payoffs for WrestleMania and his other WWE appearances through his foundation, and I believe this is now under investigation. I wouldn't Finally. be surprised at all. I remember Nobody both- listened. Nobody listened to me all those years ago. I've been telling you about this for years. I mean, there's how many people in the world are really uniquely positioned like you to know that that was I probably said, what was fuck, going on? I DM'd this to David Fahrenthold at the Washington Post years ago. Just wouldn't listen to the anonymous <laughs> stores. <sighs> I remember looking up recently, like, uh, who, like, had registered with the Republican Party and donated, like, whatever, whatever, and finding out that, like, both Triple H and Stephanie also made huge donations. Oh, of course they did. But from their personal accounts yeah. out around the same time. So they spread it across the whole fucking family. <laughs> there was reportedly an idea for Dolph Ziggler, Shelton Benjamin, and Jack Swagger to form a varsity club-style group. Hell yeah. That actually kind of rules, though. This I don't is know the who's, good stuff. Who's cutting the promos in that shit? I don't know, man. Give him Uncle Zebekiah. Those three. Bring back Sullivan. Those three as. Oh, God. No, 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 no. <laughs> those three as young people, that would have been killer. For those three to be like old varsity guys, old, still yeah, wear old man strength. That would have been killer for them to be like faded glory high school athlete bullies. TJ Perkins won the Cruiserweight Classic. Oh, that was not their original plan. Sure wasn't. I still think about to this day, 
I didn't know that the negotiations with Kota Ibushi, not, there really weren't any, but they thought they had Kota Ibushi, had broken down. So when I watched the Cruiserweight Classic and Perkins beats Ibushi clean, that's still one of the most disappointing losses yeah. in my entire life. A WWE tryout camp featured Shayna Baszler, Eddie Kingston, Cedric Rougeau, and Jacob Fatu. And they only signed one. <laughs> Ric Flair claimed to have had sex with Halle Berry back in the 90s after she got divorced from David Justice. A spokesperson for Berry denied this and said she didn't know who Flair was. Look, I'm reasonably certain that, like, Halle Berry definitely does not know who Ric Flair is. Though, Halle Berry and David Justice, both Atlanta celebrities at yeah. the time. It's... I, I, she, I can believe she knew who Ric Flair... It, it is kind of crazy for Ric Flair to just be like, oh yeah, I banged Halle Berry. <laughs> Especially if it's not true. But also, if you're Ric Flair, I mean, you could toss that off about literally anybody and it'd be like, well, I mean, I don't know if if, if he caught her at the right party. I don't... Maybe. A film about the life of Chris Benoit was announced. This, of course, never actually got made. Probably for the best. Can you imagine like that? You know, that's going to happen, right? Like at some point in the next 10 years, someone's going to make a Chris Benoit movie. Yeah, probably. I mean, we were getting the Von Eriks now and that's as unpleasant a subject matter as that is. It don't touch the Benoit shit, but like a 24 is going to put something out. I think the rumor was Liv Shriver was going to play Benoit, which is pretty good cast in. Yeah. I can't wait to see uh, Timothy Chalamet play Chris Benoit. <laughs> Cody debuted in Impact Wrestling. Hey, that's a thing that happened as the Global Force Wrestling like TV champion. Ryback claimed he was going to fight in Bellator. That did not happen. No. MMA's obsession with booking pro wrestlers had stopped well before this. Bret Hart buried the Freebirds as being undeserving of their induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. He said, quote, they never, never drew any money, never did anything. When I remember the Freebirds, they were all drunk and passed out at the gate at one of the airports in my first day in the WWF. None of them made the show that day. They were too drunk to make their plane. I mean, first of all, that does sound absolutely true. <laughs> Legendary. They were with the WWF for like three weeks. But this is some dumb shit. Like, Bret Hart has said a, a couple things over history that makes it pretty clear that to him, WWE and Stampede history is the only history that yeah. matters. Like, he does not, he's not an NWA guy at all. This is, I think this is when Brett had a podcast where he would just bury people savagely every single week. I it's love that. It's amazing that, like, Conrad didn't get in on that and just be like, who who does Brett want to bury this week? All right. It should literally hey, just hey, be like, welcome to Heartbreak Hotel. Literally, he should just pick, like, all right, Brett, Jeff Jarrett, what do you <laughs> fucking hate about him? <laughs> Oh, it made national news that in 2010, Trump fired Maria Canales Bennett from The Celebrity Apprentice for engaging in what he called locker room talk. That was, of course, what he said he was doing in the Access Hollywood tape, that he was just engaging in, quote, locker room talk. Somehow there's always a wrestling tie-in. I have always, from this, 
desperately wanted to find out that like he like made a pass at Maria and she said no and then he fired her. And like I assume that Maria at this point would take it to her grave because she'd probably get assassinated for bringing it up. But fuck me, like I would love to find that out. And finally, the hammer. Jeff Jarrett ran shows that he branded as Global Force Wrestling shows at the Tennessee State Fair, using mostly Tennessee independent talent. I assume for a fee, Jeff Jarrett will run a Global Force Wrestling show at your birthday, using a bunch of local bums and drunks. What a missed opportunity this was. Like, I I literally could have had Jeff Jarrett, like, bring his tour of weirdos and whoever he could accumulate on the way for his fake phantom promotion. I could have brought that to Toledo and just done it in my house. Probably still could. Probably. Oh God. Jeff Jared and global force wrestling, the greatest scam ever pulled. And I think he's a hero for it. It single-handedly turned his reputation around. Oh man. All right, to get into the show, it's Sunday, October the 9th, 2016. We are at the Golden One Center in Sacramento, California. This is a brand new arena. This is one of the first events ever held in this arena. Whenever you open a new building, WWE will immediately run it so they can claim they set the attendance record. Yep, they do absolutely love doing that. Uh, good crowd here. This this they announced a sellout, and I think it probably was over fourteen thousand. Interesting crowd too. They are extremely hot for some stuff, but not very hot for the actual wrestling. So probably like about what you get for crowds that they don't bring WWE shows to a lot. Like they they're popping for the people, not necessarily the spots. Couldn't find a buy rate. I don't know if this was actually on pay-per-view, but I can't imagine more than like 10,000 people bought this on pay-per-view. I'm not sure even I would have bought this on pay-per-view. Yeah. Two a month. Man, that's wild. Yeah. Thank God on, they were $9.99 at this point. On commentary, we've got Moro Ronaldo, JBL, and David Otunga. Anytime I hear Moro, I'm like, oh, I didn't remember he was here. This was such a, for very long. a wild stack of surprises. Because, again, I go into these shows blind. And, like, so when Minoru's voice comes on, I'm like, oh. And then when JBL's voice comes on, I'm like, uh, oh. And then fucking David Otunga's voice comes on. Oh, I was, like, like, who? I was literally like, who is that? I had to look it up. David Otunga, who, bless him, cut good promos, but just a rancid, rancid oh, commentator. The most milk toast commentator I've ever heard. You can tell that people in the back are telling him, like, all right, now you're going to say this, and he just delivers it with nothing. Like, uh, not the role for him. On the pre-show, the Hype Brothers and American Alpha defeated the Ascension and the Vaude Villains in nine minutes and ten seconds. It's fun to think about the fact that one person in this match is still there. Like, one. Most of these people in this match are out of the business. <laughs> Deservedly. Yeah. All right. So, the opening promo is about the matches we'll see tonight and how everyone is going to show no mercy. No mercy. Opening match for the WWE Championship, we've got AJ Styles, the face that runs the place, the champ that runs the camp, defending against Dean Ambrose and John Cena. Cena comes out first to mostly cheers and the biggest reaction of the three of them. He 
pretty clearly came off like the biggest star on the show. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're deep into the John Cena sucks era, but it's the we yeah. love you, John. So we're going to sing it to you kind of yeah. era. It's, so. it's a wink. It's a wink at this point. Nobody actually thinks John Cena sucks anymore. Especially after these AJ Styles matches, which yeah. are the finest of his career. Ambrose comes out next. As we always say, he looks pretty unimpressive. Like, I don't think he looks like a star. His music isn't good. Yeah. He looks like a dickhead. Like, and he's sandwiched in between. He does not get a good reaction. Cena gets a big reaction. AJ's music hits. He gets a great pop. Not yeah. quite Cena's, but like he's the heel, so he shouldn't be. But like he gets a good reaction. For a guy as new as he is, that it just buries Ambrose. That like this is supposed to be your reaction, buddy. After they make their entrances, they do the promo for the match. What do you think of that? I thought that was kind of weird. These guys literally had to stand yeah. in the ring while AJ's music continuously played for five minutes. Because the crowd, I'm not even sure they got the video because AJ's music was still playing. That's like, a good point. So literally, like, the crowd's just yeah. staring at them wandering around. Uh, they all go for their finishes early, but they all get broken up. They do a triple German suplex spot. Cena goes for the AA on Styles, but Styles lands on his feet and hits a Pele kick. He's just unbelievably smooth. Incredible. We don't really talk about AJ Styles in terms of one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but we very, very much should. AJ gets Cena up on his shoulders and hits him with a spinning torture rack slam. That's a pretty incredible feat of strength. You can tell Cena's having a great time wrestling like AJ, too, because, like, John is an incredibly strong man, but that doesn't mean that the guy, people he's wrestling are always good at selling the shit that he can do. AJ can sell anything that you do. Styles goes for a super Frankensteiner on Ambrose, but Ambrose rolls through it into a pin. That was pretty cool. Only gets two. Oh, yeah. Cena hits both guys with a double five-knuckle shuffle. Um, he hits an AA on Styles, but Styles rolls out of the ring. Then he hits the AA on Ambrose, but Ambrose kicks out. Late in his career, the AA couldn't beat anybody. Literally, if it wasn't off the top rope, it was a joke. And even then, it wasn't necessarily pinning everybody. Uh, AJ suplexes Cena on the apron, and then he hits Ambrose with the springboard 450. He does the Styles Clash on Ambrose, but as he goes to pin him, Cena grabs his ankle and puts him in the STF. Cena gets both Ambrose and Styles up on his shoulders for the AA and both slip off. Now, that's impressive, but the other time I saw him do this was with the big show in Edge, and that was more impressive. Edge weighs about the same as both Styles and Ambrose put together, much less the big show. Yeah. Uh, Ambrose puts Styles in the calf crusher. Cena jumps in and puts Styles in the STF. Styles taps and the bell rings, but refer referee Mike Kyoto says the match has to continue. I don't really like this spot. I don't know what the point of that was. It has nothing to do with the finish, so it just kind of like derails the match yeah. and like just removes makes all AJ the look like an asshole. Every time you do a fake bell ringing and then restart of a match, unless it's one of those things where, like, the crowd begs for five more minutes, like, you're killing the crowd because they're like, did it end? Like, what are we? Oh, I got to get hot again from scratch. Okay. 
Ambrose hits the dirty deeds on Cena, but AJ pulls Kyoto out of the ring to stop the count. Ambrose hits AJ with a tope. Him and Cena fight up on the top rope. Cena hits Ambrose with the super AA, but AJ jumps in, hits Cena with a chair, and pins him. Excellent match. Great stuff. It was awkward for the chair shot to be one like one to the gut, then one to the back, and then pin him, because that felt a little weird. But of course we're not doing chair headshots anymore, so I would have preferred it to be like coming in with like a belt shot or something like that. Yeah. That's quibbling though. Alright. We've started to do this thing where we play a game each week. This week I propose the game is who did this person vote for in the 2016 election if they voted? I think it's pretty obvious that Dean Ambrose is a I didn't vote probably in this particular election. Dirtbag lefty. That's why Clinton lost. Yep. Uh, the other two are solidly in Trump's bag. <laughs> I'm one that Cena may not have voted. We don't have any fucking idea what John Cena's politics are, and that's very much by design. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Cena and Dwayne Johnson have like the exact same politics. And I'm sure that they both modeled them off of each other. Like everything is just kind of vague platitudes and absolute centrism. Don't piss anybody off. Now, to be fair, it's... Dwayne Johnson endorsed Biden in 2020. He sure did. It was did. like the first time he'd really gone out there on a limb and done something politically. Hilariously, he appears to have shot his Joe Biden endorsement video yes. and his tribute to Ken Shamrock for the TNA Hall of Fame at the exact same time because he's wearing the same shirt in both of them and in his backyard for both of them. I just love the idea that he knocks out like 35 yeah. video appearances back to back. Okay, what's this one? Joe Biden. Fucking love Joe Biden. He's the best. What's this one? Ken Shamrock. Fucking love Ken Shamrock. He's the best. <sighs> oh, man. Uh, then they show the promo for Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton, but that's not the next match. It's just like, this is their running story through the night is built into this Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton match. But I also think that they do it here because they're like, all right, everyone's about to switch over to the debates. Yeah. Let's do this to remind people to come back. Cause so they can see this big hot match we have. Next up, we've got Nikki Bella versus Carmella. Nikki is now dressing like Cena and wearing little jean shorts in the ring. It's kind of cute, actually. Like, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Nikki's just come back from a potentially career-ending neck injury that was caused by her finisher, where she would get her opponent up on her shoulders and then with all of their weight on her, drop down to her knees. That was not a good idea. Nope. Uh, this was the shock treatment invented by Abyss. Uh, it, it's a lot easier to do when you're as big as Abyss. <laughs> After an uneventful eight minutes, Nikki gets the win with the TKO. That's the Rack Attack 2.0. This is fine. Um, Carmella is... There appeared to be various times in her run where she seemed like she was developing into a pretty solid something. I just don't think there was any need for Carmella to be a wrestler. I think she was just yeah. a really good valet in personality. Like, I think she's absolutely the kind of person who gets somebody heat by being with them. I don't mean to say this in a way that's insulting to her personally. I just feel like she's a Laurinaitis era diva stuck out of time. Like, I think she would have absolutely slayed feuding with Kelly Kelly just isn't yeah. a great fit with what they're doing. She was point. great with Enzo and Cass. And Unbelievable. Like, I think she would have been a great heel valet. 
Her and James Ellsworth together was also absolute dynamite. I yeah. loved that. Who did they, they actually, vote for? Uh, Carmella is actually the only person on this show who is a registered Democrat. So you looked at, I was thinking she was a Trumper because I thought she was actually from Staten Island. Nope, I actually looked it up to Definitely see. Definitely Trump who, country. There are very few professional wrestlers who have gone so far as to register one way or the other because, you know, <laughs> why would you? Especially under your fake wrestling name. But uh, there are only two people on this show who are registered one way or the other. She is the one Democrat. The other's a Republican. I was going to say, I think Nikki probably voted for Hillary. I would guess so. She seems, yeah, that seems like it makes sense. We go backstage to Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. Uh, the Miz walks in and talks some shit to Bryan. Let's do who they voted for. Shane definitely voted for Trump along with the rest of the McMahons. Something about Daniel Bryan has always made Jill me Jill Stein. Yeah. yeah. It, it, Green Party. It's either that or like he's a secret Trumper, but he'd never tell anyone. He would never tell a soul that. I, I think he's an ultra lefty. Uh, yeah. pretty, I, I bet he's either Green Party or didn't vote. Yeah, didn't vote. is. In fact, if I had to make a pick for what, what the highest percentage in this was, didn't vote would probably be it. <laughs> Next up for the SmackDown tag titles, we've got Rhino and Heath Slater defending against the Usos. Um, A few minutes into this match, we hit 9 o'clock p.m. on the East Coast and the debate starts. This is clearly a throwaway match. They are conceding against the debate. They should have just given them 25 minutes because honestly, (laughs) it does not matter what happens in this match. I think the old Vince McMahon would have put the triple threat match up against the debate and said, like, we're going to take our best shot. Though that's asinine, because, like, there's going up against, like, you know what, we can fucking take on, like, a a big football game. Fuck them. We got a product just as good as theirs. And then there's, like, oh, we can go up against the Super Bowl. Fuck (laughs) them. No, you can't. Uh, most of the match is Rhino getting worked over. Uh, Slater has gotten wildly over with the whole I've got kids to feed thing. It was a great gimmick. As weird as it is to say, he, Slater, and Rhino were very briefly yeah. a very hot babyface tag team. Um, Rhino hits a spine buster and manages to tag Slater. Slater gets cut off, gets put in the Tequila Sunrise, Conan's old finisher. Love to see that. And Morrow actually knowing what it was was refreshing. Rhino breaks that up. He tags back in. He hits a gore and the champions retain. Um, Match was fine. I didn't hate it. Yeah, the Usos are not nearly as big as they would later be and, of course, are now. They're huge stars now. Uh, so they're just like kind of beginning their path down the, the road to becoming a gigantic star team. So like this wasn't a surprise to have Heath Slater and Rhino win. It was perfectly fine. Didn't hate it. Uh, Rhino voted for Trump. <laughs> yeah, Rhino actually ran for state representative in Michigan this year. Yes, and he lost. <laughs> yeah, lost. And he was running in Dearborn, which is a heavily Arab, overwhelmingly Democratic city. So didn't really stand any chance to win. But follow it. Actually, this is before Kane became the mayor. But yeah, Rhino. And he's never run again, surprisingly enough. Um, yeah. Slater, I would think, voted for Trump. He's a West Virginia boy. Oh, yeah. Def- like, this is literally a Trump team versus... 
Usos? I, yeah, I'm thinking Trump too, to be honest. You would think. Or just that, didn't vote. You would think that like Islander or Polynesian people would be way more democratic than they uh, are, but to be honest, they just don't participate. Okay. Yeah. Non voters. Yeah, all the Hawaiians that I've ever talked to are like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Bray does a backstage promo. Says nothing of interest. Randy Orton, I am your devil. I am a god! They did this thing in the lead up to this match where they had like Randy Orton like trap him in like a, like what's it called? Like a storage container? And then he, like, magically escapes from it. And I got excited for a brief moment. And I would do this every time they'd hint that he has magical powers. Like, are we taking the step to something actually interesting? Something actually backing up all this bullshit he always talks? No. Goes nowhere. They did an episode of SmackDown where the running thread was, like, Wyatt had, like, laid all these traps backstage for Orton. And Orton, like, had to make his way through them. Like, Somebody on the writing team loved writing for Bray Wyatt and had the time of their life doing it. I think yep. it was probably Michael Hayes. Probably. And, like, it featured stuff like a door that says, like, oh, danger. And, like, yeah. they sh- the camera shows that behind it is Braun Strowman or somebody, like, ready to murder him. And Orton's like, nah, I'm not going through yeah. that door. <laughs> Next up, we've got Jack Swagger versus Baron Corbin. This is the kind of match you had to get the show to two and a half hours instead of just two. This is the kind of match you have to outlast the debate. You know what else this match is, Steve? No. Stump Steve, baby. Oh, my God. Are you going to ask me who did Baron Corbin ever beat? Yes, that's literally what I'm going to do. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Stump Steve, where I believe my record is six and 50 or whatever. Okay, so Baron Corbin is one of the worst win-loss records in WWE pay-per-view history. I can imagine. Not including his two recent wins on NXT. That doesn't count to me. He is 12-41 and lifetime on pay-per-view. Jesus Christ. In terms of singles matches, again, not including those two, uh, if you take out Money in the Bank or Multi-Man matches, he has won a grand total of six singles matches on pay-per-view since 2016 and i am asking you to tell me at least four of the people he beat on pay-per-view how about i just name one of them and walk away on it (laughs) roman reigns he sure did he's to date still the last man to pin roman reigns in a singles match as king corbin no less It was like TLC 2019. It's like the all-time trivia question. Yep. Now, I know for a fact that you can name another one because it's the most mad I've ever seen you at the result of a pay-per-view match. Uh, when he beat Kurt Angle. There it is. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And uh, he won this one against Jack Swagger, so that's three. So I guess I should just try to get the fourth in that case. I'm trying to think. Who's the type of jabroni they would have fed <laughs> to Baron Corbin at some point? Now, I will tell you this. Three of them happened at TLC pay-per-views because oh, apparently that's just his pay-per-view. TLC is a sicko pay-per-view. <laughs> it's really the WWE equivalent of Halloween Havoc. It really is. For all the sick perverts out there. We've barely ever done a TLC. Really, we have. For good reason. Uh, who'd he ever beat? 
God, I'm trying to remember. It's hard to even remember feuds he had. Other than that time they had him feud with Seth Rollins, which killed Seth's title, right? One of them is the very first pay-per-view match he ever had against basically a jobber. One of them is a mid-card feud at Survivor Series 2017. And one of them, he beats a top star, and I don't know how the fuck he got this win. (laughs) At Elimination Chamber 19. So it goes TLC 16. Okay. Survivor Series 17. And... Uh, Elimination Chamber 19. At Elimination Chamber 19, he actually beat someone good? Yeah, well, he had to get some uh, momentum to beat Angle at that WrestleMania, so yes. Fair question. He beat somebody who at that time you would have thought would be in a big match at WrestleMania. Gotta make a guess. I'm just gonna guess Dolph Ziggler because it seems like everybody beat Dolph Ziggler at some point. That is a good guess, but no, Dolph Ziggler's not on the list. We were looking for Kalisto in his very first match. He mm. beat The Miz at Survivor Series 17. Did he beat? Did he wrestle Kalisto at Survivor? Didn't he? I thought he weren't wrestled him at a. I think he didn't win. I think it was a DQ. Didn't he wrestle him at Surv- the Raw, one of the Raw versus SmackDown Survivor Series? Is yeah, I think it was a DQ. It wasn't a clean yeah. finish. And then he beat Braun Strowman clean on the way into WrestleMania. He beat Braun Strowman. Pinned him clean in the ring, baby. What? What did Braun Strowman do to get in the doghouse and have that happen to him? Got me. Oh man, that was a tough one. Mostly, I only brought it up because I wanted to bury Baron Corbin's abysmal <laughs> win-loss record on pay-per-view, one of the worst of all time. Surprisingly, I didn't hate this match. I actually thought this was a pretty good Haas match. There's nothing wrong with a Haas match, right? And Baron Corbin had genuine potential when he was yeah. first coming up. And he's like, only been on the main roster a few months at this point. He debuted at WrestleMania, where he won the WrestleMania Battle Royal. He won the second Andre the Gi- or third Andre the Giant Battle Royal, the one that had Tatanka in it. I've never really talked and Shaq. about Shaq. Yeah, I've never really talked about this. But one of the reasons why I stopped doing Q Scouts is I basically staked my reputation on Braun on uh, Baron Corbin becoming a gigantic star. Yeah. I said he was like one of the best prospects that they had ever seen. <sighs> Who boy. I called him the next Batista. Yeah. I just saw, I mean, I saw, and here's the thing. Even when I watched this, it's the hair. Long-haired Baron Corbin was cool. Yeah. Bald Baron Corbin sucked. Like, honestly, I've never seen someone's hair more clearly affect their drawing ability than Baron Corbin. But he just, at the worst possible time, starts going bald under the hair. He starts to get like a skullet almost. And like, that's a nasty, horrible look. He starts looking like Gollum. Why he had couldn't to they just him. get him hair plugs? I know. But like, if he had just had good hair... Fuck, he could have gone and places. A, and a better physique. The physique was kind of, because he's meant to be a body guy, but he doesn't because he played, you know, he dropped a ton of weight after he stopped playing football. Back when he was playing in the NFL, he was like 320 pounds and oh, yeah. probably had a giant gut. You're never going to have abs once you've been 320 yeah. pounds for like 15 years. Like, it's just not going to happen. 
this match ended with an amazing feat of strength yes. in which Corbin hit Swagger with the end of days, which popped JBL in a way that sounded genuine. The end of days, I will argue to my grave, is like a top five greatest finisher of all time. Like for this man to have that finisher and that and the music that he had all through his career and like to still never be able to get over. It's just sad. <laughs> Speaking of, do you remember, do you remember that I believe this year JBL was managing Corbin and then in storyline stopped managing him because Corbin sucked so much? I did not know why it stopped happening, though. That does make sense. <laughs> And maybe in reality, I think maybe in reality, JBL just didn't like traveling and didn't want to go on the road anymore. But also the funny thing is, like, him managing people sounds like a good idea. But the first time he stood next to Corbin, and Corbin's a big dude, JBL made him look like a baby. Yeah, that's the thing. Even, like, Corbin is one of the only people who feels big enough that JBL can manage them. Everybody else, he is a foot taller than. And even he looked small next to JBL. Uh, no Mercy by Kit is our theme song tonight. Sure. I have never heard this song before or since. All right. Time for the match we're all here for. For the Intercontinental Championship, The Miz defends against Dolph Ziggler. As a reminder, Ziggler's career is on the line here. He has to win the title or leave WWE forever. It's so... The important thing to know going into this match is to know that we are catching Dolph Ziggler and The Miz at the absolute perfect times. The Miz, who has gone through this gestational process where, like, he was a great – he was absolutely terrible. Then he became a great character, but the in-ring wasn't there yet. And then he literally spent, like, three years just wrestling hundreds of mid-card 15-minute matches until he actually became unbelievably good. And this is him at literally the peak of both his character and his wrestling, and for Ziggler too. And they're meeting at this moment where they both have something huge to prove, and that's why we get what we get. Yeah. Miz is out first, he's got Maurice with him, and then Ziggler walks second, and bell rings, let's get it on. Dolph starts fast. He goes for covers after every move. I really like that little detail. Absolutely. I also want to point out, too, that at the beginning, neither one of these guys gets a big reaction from the crowd, and the match does not get much of a reaction from the crowd in the beginning, much like the Cody and Dustin versus the Shield match that we talked about last week. Like, literally, it's it's a parallel match. There's dueling, let's go Ziggler, let's go Miz chance as Miz takes control and wears Ziggler down. Miz mockingly does a bunch of Daniel Bryan spots. Dolph makes a brief comeback, but Miz shuts it down. He starts working Dolph's knee. Miz puts Dolph in the figure four that was willed to him by Ric Flair years before this. Let's be clear, if your name is not The Miz, then you are not Technically allowed to do the figure four. You owe him royalties every time you do it. I think in in, in theory that includes Charlotte. <laughs> she does the figure two. eight. That's She's why. not allowed to do the figure four because he gave it to somebody else. 
Ziggler eventually manages to grab the ropes to get out. Ziggler makes a comeback. He hits Zack Ryder's Rough Rider finisher for a two count. That was enough to put Ziggler down at TLC 2011, but not enough to put The Miz down tonight. The other thing that really helps with the drama of this match is these are both guys we've seen lose dozens of times. Any move, like a stiff breeze can beat Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. So every near fall is a believable near fall because any move can beat either of these dudes. Miz rams Ziggler into the exposed turnbuckle and then hits a slingshot powerbomb for a two count. Ooh, that was crazy. Yeah. Miz ducks a kick and he hits the zigzag. Fuck. He got him. Miz kicks out. It feels like that was Ziggler's last shot. At this, at this exact spot right here, the crowd comes alive yeah. and they are white hot all the way until the end. They're like begging, no, Dolph, please don't lose like we've seen you do every single time in every big match you've ever had. One of the most controversial things I've ever said on this podcast was I think a little while ago I said something like, I think Dolph Ziggler could have been as good as Shawn Michaels. And I think what I Ooh. meant what I meant about that was that like very few people in wrestling history have the ability to make you feel like they could lose the match any time, but like pull you into it like, please don't lose. Please. Oh my God, you can kick out of this. Please, 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 please. And, like, there are a couple of matches in his career, and I specifically the Survivor Series one with the Authority match, where, like, that creates magic. The ability that, like, to suck you into a match because he seems like he's dead, but he's just got a little bit more left to give. That match and this one are the quintessential example of that kind of baby face. All right, we're halfway through the match, and it's about to get hot, so strap in here. Let's go. Miz blocks a super kick. He goes for the skull crushing finale. Ziggler gets him with a victory roll for a two count. Dolph goes straight to the sleeper hold, which it was his finisher at one point in his career, but Miz manages to get the ropes. As Ziggler is getting up, Maurice sprays him in the eyes with perfume behind the referee's back. Miz grabs him and hits the skull crushing finale. God damn it. Dolph. And as, like, it's not given enough credit, but the Skull Crushing Finale has been a very protected finisher yeah. throughout Miz's career. Like, very, very Baby few people Cena kick out. kicked out of it, yeah. Yeah, but mostly people just don't get hit with it or they lose. Like, so when Dolph Ziggler kicks out of the fucking Skull Crushing Finale, we're on now, baby. Yeah, Dolph kicks out. Miz tries to get the figure four again. But Ziggler's boot comes loose. He wrestles the remainder of this match with one shoe on. <laughs> Ziggler nails Miz with a super kick, and it looks like he has the match won. But the Spirit Squad run down and distract the ref. It's only two of them. It's Kenny, definitely Kenny Dykstra. And do you know which of the other ones this was? I think it was Johnny, but I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ziggler super kicks both of them and he turns around into the skull crushing finale. Nobody kicks at a two. It's no. over. No. You're that done. That was clearly the finish. Dolph loses in the most humiliating fashion imaginable as 
the embarrassing gimmick that should have ended his career ends his career for real this time. Except... Dolph Ziggler digs deep inside of himself, and for once in their miserable lives, Cleveland doesn't blow it. I gets out. I remember watching this live, and again, like I'm like glued to my phone for like the first half of this match. By the time this is going on, like I am off my couch, like standing up, like chewing on my fingernails. Like I, this is the most like anxious I've been about a match in ages. And I don't give a fuck about Dolph Ziggler's career in 2016. Nobody does. That's how good this match is. Well, it's just like it's pretty. I feel like it's pretty rare to have a retirement match and not be able to call it because I maybe I was dumb, but I legit thought Dolph was going to lose and leave the company. I figured his contract was running out and he was going to leave. I thought it was a good opportunity to like get something over with Miss. I at least thought he was going to go away for a while and maybe come back later on. Basically, like what they did when he like dropped the U.S. title and just like bailed yeah. for a while and then came back at the Rumble. I expected something like that. I did not think he was winning this match. I don't think anybody really did. The referee ejects Kenny, Mikey, and Maurice. Miz turns around and Ziggler blasts him with a super kick and covers him. For the one, two, three, Dolph Ziggler wins. He didn't choke. This is a great moment. Yeah. Like, Ziggler really has only ever had two triumphant moments in his entire career. The one where he cashes in money in the bank and this. But, like, this, I I think this memory keeps him warm at night, you know? This is the one time he proved, like, I am that good. I did that shit. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe Dolph Ziggler never became the top star he wanted to, but damn it, he gave us a hell of a memory on this night. And it's one of those things, too, like, I was having a discussion with somebody recently about, like, is Dolph Ziggler a Hall of Famer? And I think that he is, if only because how many people in wrestling history have delivered a moment like this? And I don't know how many there really are. There are a lot of people in the Hall of Fame who never had a moment this good. Yeah. Never had a moment like the match with the, against the Authority at Survivor Series. Never had a moment like cashing in Money in the Bank. Even if the rest of his career was a disappointment, those are three huge moments in WWE history. Yeah, to me the bummer is he just never really got the shot because yeah. Vince just didn't buy him. Vince, something about him didn't click with Vince. And he just, he never got the opportunity. He got... A world heavyweight title run that got derailed because he got a concussion almost right away. And then they just had him drop the title and he never got it back. I just, I think, I think if Dolph Ziggler come around at a different time in WWE's history, if he was fresh and new here in 2016, maybe that's something. Yeah. Or if he came around right now. Yeah. But there's just too much baggage. Vince let him stay around almost longer than anyone else has ever stayed with the company. Like no it's one's like going to be 15 year run. Yeah. Yeah. So like, obviously Vince appreciated him for his work, but just never saw him in that way. But that's okay. Even then there are other mid carters that have made the hall of fame. I just think anybody who's delivered as much good shit as Ziggler did over the years belongs in the hall of fame. I don't know how many hall of famers have been released. Like they were garbage by the side of the road. So we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, this should have gone on last. He probably should have gotten a special celebration here. Like the entire locker room should have come out and celebrated with him. This should have been, even though it's quote unquote only the Intercontinental title, like the real win is 
he got the monkey off his back and he saved his career. This is also the end of the Miz's never-ending, super-awesome yeah. Intercontinental title reign, which is maybe the definitive Intercontinental title reign of our lifetime. <laughs> it's up there. Yeah. So, like, is this a big deal? This leads to nothing. <laughs> no. I, the, good Stump Steve would have been who did Dolph Ziggler lose the Intercontinental title to here. I assume he dropped it back to the Miz. Yeah. The the wild thing is just that much like the Cody uh, and Dustin against the no Shield match, up. this leads to absolutely nothing except us being perverts and remembering it forevermore. And, Sick freaks. But we're not the only ones. Lots of people do remember this. Actually, so at Survivor Series, uh, Miz has the title back, so he didn't yeah, even drop right. it on pay-per-view. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he wrestles... Um... I don't remember who he wrestles, but it's Damn like an intercontinental. Zane. It's like an intercontinental champion versus U.S. champion match. Yeah. So like literally, Ziggler drops it on SmackDown. It's not even like a fucking thing. Right back to the Miz. Of course he does. Of course he does. The, the, the Miz, like he's the Ric Flair of the intercontinental title. It's just uh, yeah, he might drop it, but it's coming back to him. Like he doesn't need to get his deposit back. Yep. There's no deposit on the intercontinental title. It would be like twenty five bucks. Miz would have put oh, down like paid, a thousand well, on it. They, they would have been like, they paid why? Jeff Jarrett a lot more than that to get it back. Yeah, that should have been the deposit. The exact dollar amount they had to pay Jeff Jarrett for that match. Oh, uh, backstage we see Randy Orton look at him. Look at oh, who'd they vote for? Um, Ziggler, they both seem like Hillary voters. Like Miz with his French wife, and like Ziggler seems like a sensible enough guy. This seems like a secret Republican to me, so I don't really okay. know. Anybody from Ohio is Ohio sus. automatically suspect, yeah. Ziggler has so much Florida in him that I really can't parse that, but I think Democrat is what I'd guess for him. He dated Amy Schumer. That's not a good thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> With him, I bet he voted for Hillary, but I bet he didn't vote for Biden. I bet he just didn't vote this last time. Oh, we get a panel segment with Renee, Lita, Booker T, and Jerry Lawler. <laughs> Do we yep. want to try to parse who they all voted for? Lita 100% voted for Hillary Clinton. I, I think that was pretty Trump. Easy. Booker didn't vote. Didn't vote. Renee, <laughs> Hillary. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear across the board. Maybe Booker voted for Trump because he's met the man. So, I mean, he probably is like, yeah. That's I'm right. They, they did get inducted into the Hall of Fame the same year. They were even on the same WrestleMania. So, like, yeah. I'm sure he's met Trump multiple times. Next up, we've got Alexa Bliss versus Naomi. They had been building to Bliss versus Becky, but Becky couldn't wrestle due to an injury. So, get a replacement match with Naomi here. Naomi would constantly be used in this spot as being, like, we know she's super over, that's why we're going to use her as the surprise because, hey, we know everyone's going to be really excited about that. But we're not going to push her because, you know, no way. She does get to win the SmackDown women's title in Orlando at WrestleMania this year. That was very cool. That was a yeah. big, big moment. Here she gets to beat Alexa Bliss, even though that doesn't make a ton of sense with the fact that they're building to Alexa getting a title shot. And, in fact, Alexa will well, get that title Alexa. shot still. <laughs> 
That's the danger of ever talking about Alexa Bliss in a room with an echo in it. <laughs> Next up, we've got Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. Our main event. Oh, who'd they vote for? Uh, well, this is actually the secret surprise. So Alexa Bliss is the only registered Republican in this on this wow. pay-per-view. Yes. Huh. Interesting. So I think it's pretty obvious that one voted for Hillary and one voted for Trump. Yeah, that's Next up, main event, Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. No idea why this goes on last. They thought they had something special with the feud between these two. And in, when they did the thing where Orton joined the Wyatt yeah, family, that, that was, awesome. was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Like Randy Orton as Psycho Boy was really cool. And in fact, in the lead up to this show where Orton's like, I'm going to turn your tricks back on you. I'm better at him than you. That's actually cool. That's a side of Randy Orton I wish we got to see more often. Like, he could have been mind games Randy Orton. That's that's not bad at all. But the matches, guys, no one wants to watch these two men wrestle. Ever, under any circumstances. It's like two really big rocks leaning on each other. Just The pace just isn't there. In fact, it's Wyatt who's pushing the pace in this match, yeah. which is all wrong. I mean, that's the thing about Bray Wyatt. Despite the fact that he was a big, fat guy, he was really athletic and could really move. That's why I wish they hadn't overexposed him as much as they did. Because seeing that kind of style, again, especially against like a smaller guy, rarely would have been like, whoa, that guy fucking rules. Yeah, like like we were talking about last week, imagine if after he debuted, he didn't wrestle for like six months, and then when he finally wrestled at WrestleMania, he was doing his awesome Bray Wyatt stuff. Yes. The first time you see the crab walk is at WrestleMania. Gets the fucking huge reaction. You see him do the Sister Abigail. You see him like chuck Cena around the ring and fly. Uh, this is a flat match. The crowd is totally checked out. I mean, part of it is because, like, the emotional release of the Ziggler match yeah. is going to be hard to follow. Yeah. And also, this isn't an interesting match. And like I said, the crowd doesn't seem especially interested in matches at all during the night. It takes them halfway through the Ziggler-Miz match to get into that. But they're white hot for that, and that's it. And they're like, well, that's all the energy we had. You're not getting any. <laughs> Bye. The finish comes when, after about 15 minutes, Orton is setting up for the RKO, and the lights go out. They come back on, and Luke Harper is in the ring. This is his return from missing, like, about the last six months with an injury. I feel like he had been gone since around WrestleMania. What do you think about the idea of putting him back with Bray here? Cool. Bray needs followers. That's the thing. It always felt like Bray needed more people. Like, yeah. Why is he ever alone? It doesn't make sense. They had this obsession with splitting up the Wyatt family for some reason. They were so much better as a unit. Oh, God, yes. Oh, that's so disappointing. But, yeah, he, like, beat. they beat up Orton. That's cool. I mean, it's fine. It, it's a pretty flat finish because the crowd's like, ooh, Luke Harper. And then they don't really care after that. Yeah. Bray hits Sister Abigail and he gets the win. It's a very bad main event to this pay-per-view. This would have been a much better show if either the triple threat match or Miz versus Ziggler had gone on last. If Ziggler versus Miz opened this show and the triple threat ended it, we were, would remember the show very fondly, I think. Yeah. 
It's just, it's very different this way. Also, when the lights came back up from the Luke Harper thing, I noticed that, like, the crowd was gone. Like, we're the, <laughs> it looked, like, half empty by that point. And it occurred to me that I hadn't really been watching. I wonder if some people just left after the triple threat. Like, well, that was the only match we cared about, so bye. If it was me, I think I definitely would have left after Miz versus Ziggler. Oh, God, yes. Like, Especially once they were like, well, Becky Lynch ain't going to be here. I would have been like, bye. Don't care. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> oh, man. Um, overall, you know, grading on the curve of the fact that this is a SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. This may have been one of the best SmackDown exclusive pay-per-views ever. And let's chat for a bit about what made this era so special to us. Because we kind of glazed over that a little bit earlier. But, like... Even though there was stuff on this show that we didn't like necessarily, for there to be – there's not a ton of talent, like, for there to be a brand split. But they have an identity now with, like, Shane and Brian as, like, the commissioners, and they're working together. And there's just something about this SmackDown that felt like a fully formed product separate from Raw. And I really remember people watching just SmackDown and not Raw during this period because it was just so much better that it almost became like a separate product entirely. There were just so many people on this roster I'm interested in. Um, American Alpha. Yeah. I buried this Wyatt Orton match, but I really enjoyed them as a team. AJ was awesome. Ziggler was doing really good stuff. Miz was at the top of his game. Usos were doing awesome stuff. Slater and Rhino were a really fun comedy tag team. Uh, Becky was really coming into her own. Um, you know, I was even into Corbin. I was interested in whether Corbin could get over. SmackDown had Apollo Crews, who I really liked. I really feel like of all the brand splits that have ever happened, and there are like 20 of them at this yeah. point, this is the only time where I really feel like one of the show's was capable of existing on its own for a period of time, completely disconnected from raw. Didn't need any help from them. Didn't need any cross promoting stars or any of that has its own identity and it's different. And it didn't last because eventually they just kind of ran out of new people to push. Like they just, the well went dry a little bit, um, which is, it sucks, but I, I just really loved this period while it lasted. Yeah, and this night in particular with this Ms. Ziggler match is just special. Just an unbelievable, like, great, great match. Like, I wouldn't quite call it a five-star match, but it was getting up there. Yeah, I just, I'm glad we're getting this chance to highlight this match. If you haven't seen it recently, go watch it right now. Yeah. It's just it, one of the best mid-card matches in WWE or even wrestling history. It's best just incredible. match of either guy's career? Ooh. Trying to think of a better Miz match. I don't this think is, there is one. This is basically the perfect Miz match. This yeah. is the perfect encapsulation of his style and Ziggler's style. And they mesh perfectly because those two kinds of guys mesh perfectly. And I love – they clearly put a lot of thought into what is every – like bullshit finish we could tease here. Yeah. Cause they do the exposed turnbuckle. They do the perfume in the eyes and they do the spirit squad distraction and none of them work. I do also wonder, just wills his way through all of that. 
Is the only reason they got 20 minutes for this because Vince knew the debate was going on and that no one was watching anyway? <laughs> oh, that might be. Like, on, if it's not for the brand split, this match never happens. If it's not for the debates, this match might never get this much time. They just had an opportunity here, and they hit it out of the fucking park. And bless them both for it. Miz, in my opinion, first ballot Hall of Famer, no matter what anybody says. This is going to go down as one of his best performances. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That brings us to a wrap for No Mercy 2016 and for the month of October. Coming at you in November, we looked at the shows we could do in November and December and found the pickings a little slim. So we're going to go back to our old forgotten friend, the Seasons format. Yeah. And that is going to lead us to go to the most wonderful place in the whole wide world. 1989 WCW. Guys, he jumped on this opportunity so <laughs> fast. I didn't even have the opportunity to see it. propose it. Yeah, that's true. That's fine. Okay, I but, it, but you were okay with that. Okay, but for real, this is like some of the wildest shows ever aired. It's so fucking fantastic. There's never going to be shows with a bigger mix of like some of the greatest wrestling matches of all time and some of the absolute worst booking of all time. Like, we're talking like... You can take t- any two names that you think ever worked for WCW, just put them at, pull them out of a hat randomly. They fucking wrestled on pay-per-view this year. Yeah. The other thing that I love so much about this is I don't know if there's ever been, I don't know, a group of people involved in creative who talked about their experiences more. Yes. You think about the fact that, I don't know, the booking committee this year features – Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair. All of these people have written books, have done shoot interviews, have had podcasts, and all of them called Dave Meltzer every single night. It's just so funny because with any WWE show, we don't ever have the true story because Vince is never going to tell the true story, right? And he's the person that you would need to hear from. In this case, every motherfucker involved has spilled every drop. Yeah, like all the iterations of the booking committee and all of them have talked so much about it. And this sheer amount of corporate and backstage politics this year is wild. In the first like three months of the year, we get four different booking regimes. It's just crazy. And in the meanwhile, just in terms of what we're going to see in the ring, this is Flair Steamboat. We've yeah. never fucking talked about it. Flair this is Steamboat. Flair Flair Funk, you know, Sting Muda, Lex Luger at the top of his game, Midnight Express, Road Warriors. They've got unbelievable talent. And I think the thing I kind of said about it is it reminds me of AEW right now in terms of the disconnect between how you can put on great matches and that not draw. Because 89 WCW couldn't draw flies even as they were putting on some of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to talk about that parallel, to talk about these actual feuds, where these people went from here, how it all breaks apart in two years later. This thing is a shell of itself. This is a very exciting time. Yeah. So we'll kick it off next week with Chi-Town Rumble 89. Ricky Steamboat challenges Ric Flair for the heavyweight championship of the world in the Windy City. 
This is a match I've only seen once before. I've only seen all the Flair Steamboat matches once before. So I am over the moon to revisit these. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.